You're listening to the CMB Podcast with Nate Fancher, session number 11. Welcome to the CMB Podcast, a podcast designed to serve people of faith who make music. If you're looking for practical and inspirational ideas to help you in your musical craft, then look no further. ChristianMusicBlog.com is all about helping you think differently about creativity through eyes of faith as you learn how to establish healthy musical habits and disciplines, fueling your creativity and making you more prolific for the glory of God. And now for your host, Nate Fancher. Hello and welcome to the 11th session of the CMB podcast. I am Nate Fancher. I am the host of this podcast, but this is not just about me at all. This is a conversation with you, the Christian music maker. If, if this is your first time, I want to um, invite you to join this conversation by going to freemusicgift.com. This is uh, my way of saying thank you in a practical way uh, for listening to this podcast. Um, You could be listening to a lot of different podcasts, and I want to say thank you practically. So visit freemusicgift.com, and there you'll also have an option to sign up for our email list where you will join me in a conversation about all of the things that we discuss here on the podcast. And um, and I really mean that. It is a conversation. It is not just me speaking to you in your ear like this. <laughs> um, and it's not just an email newsletter where I'll send you um, just you know one big blast to a big list of folks that I don't connect with personally. I actually want you to know that I will do my very best to reach out to you personally, to meet you, to um, to, to dialogue with you about the things that we're talking about here on the podcast. So so what are those things? Again, if this is your first time, CMB stands for Christian Music Blog, and um, I'm launching a website uh, in a couple of weeks, actually. We're, we're kind of coming up to the launch time, June the 15th. Um, Christian Music Blog will go live. Right now it is just a landing page. You can still visit the site. You can see um, under free updates, you can see the podcast episodes with the show notes and uh, download other episodes in the past. And um, but it's just a, a landing page where we're gathering folks like you who want to join this conversation, and um, and then on June the fifteenth, the site will go live, uh, the podcast will continue, and um, and the site will be built around this conversation of music making through eyes of faith. That's what this is about. There are so many things that we face as music makers who are Christians, um, and and I want to talk about all of those things if we can. I mean, there's going to be so much to talk about things that will will resource you and equip you in your ministry, um, things that will encourage you and edify you if you're feeling dry, things that will challenge you as you as you go into this, because there are a lot of trappings out there um, in this world of music making, and it's so easy to be distracted, it's so easy to be misguided. We need to talk about these things. The CMB podcast is going to be, at its core— Christ-centered and gospel-centered, because that is where we are going to find our answers. And so you can expect to have conversations that are theological in nature and conversations that are that are challenging in that regard. So that's what the CMB podcast is about, thinking Christianly about music in general, what the Bible has to say to creative people and to music makers specifically— and um, and how we can honor God in all of this, because that's what this is about for, for me. This is what CMB Podcast is all about. It is about the glory of God, seeing His name be advanced, seeing uh, the, the glory of God 
um, shown and displayed to our cities, through our churches, uh, for his namesake. And so um, for me to do that, um, I have to be myself. And so God has gifted me musically. God has placed me around musicians where I am here locally. And, um, and, and these are the things that we do to honor God and glorify him. So, wow, that was a mouthful. <laughs> but um, I do want to welcome you guys if it's your first time listening to the CMB podcast. I want to get right to this episode. Dale Baker is a good friend of mine. He is um, he's a, he's a great drummer. He's actually played drums with me on a number of occasions. Uh, a band that I played with called Mally. We've been on the road together some, and uh, he's an awesome drummer, um, but a really really great hang. And so um, he he played drums with Sixpence None the Richer. He played drums with Over the Over the Rhine. He's played drums with a lot of of different artists. Um, he's currently now living in North Carolina with his family, and um, in this conversation, we talk about his experience growing up in the church. Um, we talk about his his drumming and um, how that led to Sixpence None the Richer and and his time with them, playing with that band, and um, several other things like what is encouraging him these days. Um, some different books that he's reading, and all of these notes, by the way, can be found in today's um, session notes. Um, again, that's by going to christianmusicblog.com, and then checking on the latest updates. If you're listening to this in the future and uh, the site is already live, just go to christianmusicblog.com forward slash session 11, and uh, you'll find those notes there. So I want to get right to it. Here is my conversation with Dale Baker here on the 11th session of the CMB podcast. here with Dale Baker, my friend. Thank you for being here at my place. Thanks for having me. You're the first guy to actually sit down with me in person, so that makes me feel very right. special. Well, thank you for the honor. <laughs> uh, so, to have you um, speak to the listeners, I know is going to be a, a big encouragement. As you already know, um, the whole ChristianMusicBlog.com is geared to serve folks who are people of faith who make music. And so that's a pretty broad category. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely thinking, we started off with an emphasis on songwriting, um, speaking about songwriting specifics, practical stuff. And um, it's kind of, I'm, I'm hoping that it might evolve a little bit into the broader subject of just being creative, uh, musically speaking, as a person of faith. So that certainly includes songwriting, but it includes playing an instrument and uh, you being uh, a drummer and a great drummer, and um, with your story, I thought it'd be great to have you come on and just share that with the listeners. So in case there is anyone that does not know who you are, why don't we just start there? Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, so my name's Dale Baker. I'm a drummer. I'm a professional drummer. I grew up in Branson, Missouri, of all places, and uh, went to college at the University of North Texas. And uh, after graduating, moved to Dallas and started playing with a variety, with a variety of bands and then fell in with a group from Austin uh, called Sixpence None the Richer and was with them from about uh, 93 until about 2001. And uh, they became well known for their songs, uh, Kiss Me, There She Goes, and several others. And I played on all of, all of their records, except for the last couple, I think. Um, 
I'm on their recordings, I think up until about 2004, even though I left the band in 2001, there was stuff that we recorded that was released after I left. So, um, mm. um, but yeah, so I, and uh, with Sixpence, I moved to Nashville and started working as a, a, a studio drummer in Nashville and played with Amy Lou Harris and uh, Buddy Miller and um, Michael W. Smith and Rebecca St. James and um, worked with um, several producers, Matt Brown, Louise, one of them, and Steve Hindelong was another one. And uh, yeah, played on the City of City on a Hill records that were popular there several years ago. That reminds me. Um, oh yeah, I even wrote an essay for I one actually, of those books. You I got have, one of those books? It's right there. Yeah. Did I give you that book? No, no. <laughs> you I, actually bought it? I've had it for a long time. Oh, I think yeah, I actually. Yeah. I think I got that before we even met, maybe. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and and I took the photos for the book too. That was. They didn't have the money to pay a real photographer, so oh, they... Is this still in print? I don't Do you know? think so. So for the listeners, uh, we're looking at what is called... Yeah, you can't... <laughs> you can't really see that. Well, it's about to fall apart, too. Yeah, I, I, I've, I, I love it, man. Yeah, I took this picture on the floor of my apartment. Salt, I still have that salt shaker. So there's a salt shaker there's laying a salt shaker on the ground. Picture with, I mean, we should have just videoed this. Oh, yeah, and there's, there's me with my Pentax. Yeah, there, wow, a young Dale Baker. That is you. And, yeah, and I still I have... I didn't know that was you. Oh, yeah, and well, I still have that, that cap, I think. Well, I think I lost it. So, anyway, um, all right, sorry. So, no problem. Random detour. <laughs> now, this is... Uh, I wonder if people can still find it. City on a Hill. People would be familiar with those those albums. Because yeah. there were a few of those. Yeah, there were a few of them. I, I, played, on, I think I, I played on a bunch of the first one, a little bit of the second one, and didn't play on any of the third one, I think. Um, and, uh, what was the primary um, vision behind City on a Hill? Yeah, I'm probably the wrong guy to ask about that. But um, <laughs> I think the idea, uh, and I think it was driven a lot by Steve Hindelong, was this idea of, uh, of you know, making... Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what I thought was great about that experience was that Steve was able to bring together a lot of artists that you wouldn't normally put together in the same room maybe and because of his background I think it, he was able to draw from a much larger pool of talent than had it been you know another producer hmm. and so and then he combined so it wasn't like well let's get this band to sing one song he was like no let's lead let's get the lead singer from this band and the lead singer from this other band and this you know and he, so he created these like ensembles of different hmm. artists singing together I'm just looking at, together. looking at the names like so Sonic Flood and Charlie Peacock in the same room I mean there you go that's an interesting uh, I love it I love right, it right right <laughs> exactly yeah um, very um, cool yeah that's cool I for, I'd forgotten that I even had that yeah yeah you know and the fact that Julie Miller Julie Miller had stopped doing Christian music by that point but you know he was able to get her to write an essay for the book and I, she might I don't know if she appeared on the record or not or if one of her songs showed up on one of the the uh, the records but um, you know that was that's kind of cool you know um, like just a really diverse group of guys you know Tom Howard he was a huge arranger he passed away I think a couple of years ago hmm. um, but yeah just you know and then the fact that you know it was not only a CD but then they they had a visual element to it and a book um, I thought was you know really 
sort of forward thinking for the time. So I want to I want to read something. Oh, geez. All right. <laughs> this, this is uh this is you. When's the last time you actually even read this? I don't know. It's it's it, it, most of it's yeah. I, no no no. This uh, is perfect. I, I'm sure it's gonna. This is perfect. Yeah. This is perfect for uh, you know one of my questions. You just and you sharing your story. Uh, you open up with this. You say my view of salvation has definitely changed over the years. When I first accepted Christ as my Savior, I was not really aware of exactly what it was that I was publicly professing. For me, becoming a Christian was not so much a commitment as it was a rite of passage, just part of the deal of going to church. So expound on that well, and how that connects uh, to your music making. Well, I, you know, I grew up in a Presbyterian church in small town America, and uh, our music minister... Uh, was a guy named Bob Abbott, a wonderful guy. And he would include us in as many things as he could figure out how to include us in. And so he had a kid's choir, and then once we started, you know, a bunch of his kids started playing music, he would try to figure out ways, how can I get you to play snare drum for this little handbell piece we're doing? Or how can I get you to play woodblock for this little choral anthem? So, you know, so the, the thought of having, like, modern worship back then hadn't even entered the you know, the, the thought process. So he, hmm. he was just looking to create musical opportunities. And so a lot of my early playing was done in the church um, in that way, where I'm part of an ensemble and just meant to sort of play musically with people that are there. So, um, so pretty early on, you were playing music in church. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, uh, yeah, and so... Was I going with this? Well, you know, you know we're reading from your that little section about how your your view of salvation turned from just the church goer rite of passage to the commitment thing. Right, right, right. At a certain age, you would go to a special class, which I'd go to. You'd go to communicants class or whatever. Or, yeah. You know, like I went to Larry Lee's church, which is a that's you know, a blast from the past. But he was a big guy. He's like one of these televangelist guys that went to jail, but. Yeah. Anyway, you got called up to the front, mm-hmm. and then they took you back to a special room, and then you could join a class, and then mm-hmm. you know you you got the, the special you know privileges that came with being a member of his church or so. I don't know, um, you know. So you you'd go to a special class, learn to answer every question with a yes, and if all went well, you'd become a member of the church, woohoo, and be lavished with attention, which I desperately craved, and get a free Bible. So, um, mm. uh, wow. yeah, you kind of read to need, need to read the whole. Thing because yeah. it, it all kind of makes sense. I think. Well, I hate. I'm sorry. I put you on the spot like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm sorry. This is no. This is probably like not a good podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is. Uh, I I like it, so uh, I'm happy. Um, yeah. So yeah. why don't we why don't we talk about Sixpence? I mean, it, obviously, we all know that our our our, um, our walks of faith are a journey, but um, at what point did you? feel like drumming, playing music, um, for you was like a, a calling, if you want to call it that, or um, just something you knew you had to do. I mean, you were playing with Sixpence for a while, then you moved to Nashville. So how did all of that unfold? Yeah, so there was a part in college where I was I was playing a lot of hand percussion in college. I studied a lot of um, different sorts of music, you know, Cuban and Brazilian, African, uh and uh, there's some Asian music I studied as well. And so when I got out of college, I sort of had a, um, a moment prior to graduation where sort of a come-to-Jesus moment 
uh, you know, where it was like some things just totally went south for me. And I was like, God, you got to get me out of this. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, help. And, um, and so what happened over the next year is I started reading the Bible um, every day. So I, I got challenged to, 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 to make a daily habit of reading the Bible. And I thought, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. And then, uh, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really start practicing, you know, praying and, and, um, and whatnot. And so over that year, I realized, you know, my first love was playing drum set. Percussion stuff was great, and I love that. But I really wanted to play drum set. So I sold all my percussion stuff. I moved to Dallas um, and uh, felt like God was telling me, you know, you don't need to work at KFC. You can, uh, you know, you're doing this gig in West Texas, you know, once a week. That's going to pay your rent. Um, you know, stay here and keep doing what you're doing. So I felt like God was telling me, you know, play drums, do mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that seemed to be confirmed by the fact that I was actually making a living doing it, paying my bills. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm doing, I'm going down this path. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with Sixpence, I felt like I found a group of people that I resonated with. They introduced me to the alternative Christian scene where I found music that was artistically interesting um, and that was more uh, more gray, you know, there are more gray areas in that than sort of black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that was really important for me to, to see that, oh, Christian music can be more than just, um, you know, positive affirmations. You know, we can talk about, you know, a whole range of human experience as Christians doing music. Yeah. Um, you know, as we learn more about the Christian music industry, we learn that um, as a band, that that's not necessarily what the Christian music industry wants. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of people appreciated our music because it did sort of um, address and talk about some other areas of, of life. Um, and so, um, mm-hmm. yeah. What happened? Can you can you describe for me um, the day or whatever the, the the events surrounding when Sixpence crossed over from the CCM world into pop music and Kiss Me and all of that. Right. So that was a, a fairly uh, extensive ramp up. So we we got signed to Steve Taylor's label, which was called Squint Entertainment, which is being funded primarily by Word Entertainment, which is also owned by Gaylord at the time. So um, Gaylord's a company that owns Opryland and a couple mm-hmm. other, you know, bunch of other things. And I think they might be owned by somebody else now. So anyway, mm-hmm. um, so they decided we want to um, make a Christian label that also has um, a, a, a presence in the, the mainstream industry as well. So <clears throat> Sixpence was the first band to be signed. And so we were going to be sort of the guinea pigs. And so um, they, they came up with a campaign and sort of a way to sort of chip away at all the, you know, they, they came up with all these steps of like, this is what we need to do. We need to go visit these radio stations. We need to uh, play acoustic concerts for them at lunchtime. We'll buy them all lunch. We'll just go into these stations and play our music and then we'll leave. And, uh, and then a couple months later, our radio promotions people will, will come in and they'll actually, you know, get them to, they'll say, oh yeah, this band came in. They bought you lunch. Remember, you know, can you do us a favor and play their record on the, on the radio? Um, and so we did that for 
quite a while, just visited a bunch of radio stations, sort of built up a bunch of goodwill. And then when the song was finally played, I think we were out in California somewhere and we heard it. Uh, and we were on the van and as we were like driving, we're losing the signal of the radio station. So it's like, no, no. So we, I think we had to pull over the van so we could finish listening to it, you know. And it was like, oh my gosh, they played our song on the radio. Uh-huh. So, uh, so yeah, that was, that was, that was an exciting, wow. exciting time to be a part of. How can you comment on a group of believers really, you know, in, obviously, you, you know, you're more like you've already described. You're not just singing about just the feel good, positive, happy, clappy Christian music stuff, but the full scope of, of, uh, you know, you see it in the Psalms, you know, David is lamenting and, and everything, right? So you guys were really being honest and writing great stuff. Um, I don't know if you would describe it as maybe a ministry or not, but definitely as believers, you found yourself in this moment of stardom, I guess, if you want to call it that. Did you guys, how did you work through that as a team, as a band? Did you talk about that much? Yeah, I don't think, we, at that point, I don't think we talked about it all that much. I think from the get-go, our goal or our thought was we can just, if we create really good music, that's that's all that matters. That shouldn't that work? And we would find ourselves in churches, and they'd be like, "Well, you're going to do the altar call, right?" And um, and we're like, "No, we're, we don't do that. We don't preach from the stage. We we just kind of do our music. That's okay, right?" And they're like, "No, we. The whole reason we're here is we're going to try to save a bunch of our teenagers tonight. So, can't you do the, the altar call?" Well, no, we can't. But I mean, if you got a pastor, can you just you you could just wrap it up. And so we found like a lot of people that were like, "Wait, we want you to just." to fit into a certain mold and so we soon realized it was like oh we get this okay you, you gotta be a certain way to be a quote unquote Christian band and we just wanna be a really great band mm-hmm. um, made up of of Christians, of Christians yeah and, and and we weren't afraid to talk about our faith we were fine talking about our faith one on one but once you go on stage and you're doing it from the stage enough of this or at least for me I know that I got uncomfortable with that because I'd seen a lot of pastors. I worked at a, a couple churches that were um, a little shady, televangelist type. And you could, you, you know, there's a, a whole lot of manipulation that goes on. And so when you're putting on a show, um, a sh- concert, you know, you're trying to, um, you know, you're, you're trying to affect the audience's reaction response to your music and so there is a manipulation point there's there's manipulation that's done to create good entertainment and so uh, as a band that's what you're trying to do you're trying to create a good show you're trying to entertain once you enter into wait i'm gonna give a message here well in order to make that part of your show your message is going to be the same night after night potentially which a lot of people would do and so, um, so I just always felt like that was a little manipulative in a bad sense because it was like, the reason you're going there is to, to be entertained. Yeah, you're, um, a great, you're a great band. You're playing music. Yeah. Performing and... and um, but then to take all that, you know, you, you get the audience to a certain place and then to take their emotions and then to try to turn that into something else, I felt like, we, I don't want to be a part of that. And none of us, I mean, and honestly, none of us felt gifted in doing that. So, yeah. um, mm-hmm. so for us to actually try it, it would feel 
dishonest or forced. And, and so it's like, well, that's, that's weird. You know, we feel more gifted as musicians than we do as preachers or, um, you know, um, evangelists in a, in a, in a corporate sense. So, you know, when we finish the concert, we'll talk to our fans and we'll talk to them about anything and everything and we'll witness and we'll, you know, we'll just, they, they can see our hearts then. Yeah. But doing it from the stage, it just always felt a little, a little weird. Yeah. Well, what's great is that you, um, if you have a fan base, they love your music, you kind of have their hearts and they're ready to listen to whatever you have to say. Yeah. When they meet you at the, the meet and greet or whatever it is, and, and you're meeting even folks on the road and um, a part of the, the part of the tour. I mean, bands that you played with, the the number of people that you came across and talked to. I mean, yeah, I can see that, that is a huge, a huge platform that's not a platform if you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you've already meant you've already mentioned several artists that you played with as a drummer. Um, can you mention a few more that you may, may have learned um, some of this same stuff, like with Sixpence uh, artists that... Um, yeah, there was a woman... Does um, that question make sense? Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's some other artists I've played with, and there's one here that lives in North Carolina that um, I became introduced to, and I'd heard her, one of her songs, and I can't remember the song, it was for Natalie Grant, and uh, it's probably the saddest... Uh, Christian song that I've heard, but it was great because it was about life. Not, I mean, I heard it on K Love, you know. Normally, you don't hear songs like this on K Love, and so I just thought, man, this is brilliant. They they wrote a sad song, and it's getting played on K Love. This is amazing. <laughs> um, and it's uh, it's just a it's a wonderful song. And so when I found out that, you know, I got to meet Krista. Krista Wells is the artist that wrote the song uh, and started playing with her. I was like, God, this is great. You know. She writes songs that are more reflective of, you know, our everyday life as a Christian. And I, I love the fact that, you know, they're great songs. She's a great artist. Um, but they they don't seem as full of an agenda as, you know, some other Christian stuff that I hear. But, mm-hmm. I mean, because of that, I don't think she's as commercially successful as other mm-hmm. songwriters out there. But... Um, but, yeah. but she puts out a really great work and, and so I get to play with her from time to time and that's a lot of fun um, and you play with Over the Rhine yeah and so after I left yeah. Sixpence I played with Over the Rhine uh, for about a year and, and change there um, and uh, and they were another group that I'd become aware of in Sixpence uh, they were a big influences on a big influence on Sixpence's music and so mm-hmm. to get to play with these people that I'd listen to and try to analyze their music and try to sound like uh, that was a you know that was definitely a career highlight. Mm. Um, getting to play with those guys and getting to know them a little bit. That's awesome. Um, so, folks that are listening to this, um, who who may be struggling with their whatever their phase of life is right now, they 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 have a musical gift and they would love to pursue music as a as a career as a. I like to use the word solopreneur, you know, there you an, go. an entrepreneur yeah. who might step out on their own. They're, I guess it's, it's, a, it's another way of saying a freelancer, so to speak, um, a musician who wants to make a go at it. Uh, how would you encourage them? Because right now you're, you're a full-time musician still. You, you teach, you play, 
you do kind of everything you can to, to make it work. And I, I love your work ethic. And maybe you can really encourage folks in that category. Uh, thanks very much. Well, um, I'd say you can't deny getting a good education. And there's a gazillion different ways to go about getting a good education. But um, I, you know, I went to the University of North Texas, which is one of the best music schools out there. And, um, you know, going there and studying everything that I did. And I'm so glad that I studied percussion as opposed to just doing drum set because it widened my horizons and my palette. And so now as a drum set player, um, you know, I can draw on all those things. Um, because of the work that I did in music school, I'm able to do, um, you know, I get hired to play timpani. Uh, um, I get hired by the uh, North Carolina Theater to play for some of their musicals that they bring in to town. Um, and, you know, the skills that I learned in music college give me the ability to do these gigs and do them well. Um, and and then it also, it just broadens my palate when I get called to do a recording session. Um, you know, I was doing a recording session for Stephen Claybrook the other day, who you and I both know. And, um, and so his songs were you know, they're just singer-songwriter songs. But he was like, no, I really want drums on these. And so I ended up doing, like, some crazy Brazilian percussion stuff. Just, But it, it wasn't, like, legitimate Brazilian percussion. It was, like, Brazilian percussion filtered through sort of, you know, folk music drumming. So, it, so you know, I was able to pull from these various places that I had studied in college and sort of make them my own. And I, and I think, man, you know, I would not have had, because in a lot of ways, I feel like the way I play drums now is the way I was playing drums in high school. Like, I don't feel like technically I'm doing anything different. But when I do a session like I did with Steven, or when I play with Krista, uh, or a lot of other singer-songwriters, I realize that the way I play drums, you know, I'm, I'm picking up a shaker in one hand and I'm making different soundscapes with the drums that I wouldn't have that sort of vocabulary had I not been trained at some point in my life. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, nowadays with YouTube and the different, you know, there's smaller musical music schools like Musicians Institute out in California, or uh, I think you could study online with Berkeley now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's ways to kind of get some of that education. Uh, but I mean, I don't know. Um, I think I would still recommend going to the university and uh, you know you're mixing with musicians and uh, making music with other people as opposed to just to kind of in your own home and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you're also being challenged by the guys that you went to school with. I mean, the guys I went to college with are now like at the top of their field. Like I mean, there are guys like um, Jim Riley plays in Rascal Flatts. Um, hmm. um, you know, um, Matt Chamberlain plays on like everybody's recordings. Um, I didn't realize he was cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, and you know, and those guys were all killer players back then. So you're, you know, as you're in school, you're being challenged by all these great players, and you're having to continually decide: Do I really want to play drums? You know, is this really what I want to do with my life? And so for me, it just it kept being like, yes, I don't feel like I match up to any of these guys, but I can't not do what I'm doing. Hmm. So darn it all, you know, I'm gonna just keep plugging away, and um, and that's what I hear about a lot of creative a lot of people that want to pursue creative things or the books that I've read, they say, you know, if you can't not do it, I think that's the right way. You know, <laughs> if, if you, you know, you know, if, if there's any way that you can not do it, if you, if there's any way that you can stop doing 
what you're doing, you know, as a creative person, then do it because you'll be much happier. But if you find that you can't not do that, it's like the worst grammar, then, then you know that you have to do that. And so, you know, right. usually it's been people, you know, writers that I've read about that talk about this, you know, and they're miserable. They hate it, you know. And so as a drummer, it's like, yeah, there's times where I hate it more than I enjoy it, but I, mm. you know, mm-hmm. I, I can't stop doing it. You yeah. Know? Um, I feel like, yeah, this is what I'm called to do mm-hmm. on a certain level. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make sense a lot of times, and it's hard to, uh, you know, figure out what that path is going to look like. But, um, you know, you feel like I gotta, I gotta keep doing this. So, mm. Yeah. So how have you stayed encouraged in your your walk with Christ when it's been really, really low? So you're working hard. You're trying to stay disciplined and consistent, as you're talking about. Um, but you know, this this whole tribe here with this whole thing is is people of faith. Who make music and so there's a very distinctive category there what have you done over the years what has been the thing that's just kept you going in that regard it's uh, yeah the journey's been really uh, sort of up and down um, especially since leaving uh, sixpence I it felt like sixpence we get to a certain place and then it, it all kind of went away um, and that wasn't necessarily my plan um, I'm not sure, you know, part of that had to deal with moving from Nashville to North Carolina. Um, we just kind of moved out of that music city, so I stopped getting calls for session work and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I've read a book recently that was really helpful to think about, and that's a um, Catholic priest. His name's Walter Chizek, C-I-Z-E-K. I think he's around like 1930s or so. He felt called to go uh, minister to Russian people, to go to the Soviet Union back then. Mm-hmm. And so he got ordained and he got commissioned to go to Russia, but they weren't allowing Catholics to go to Russia. So they said, well, you can go to Poland. And so he started being a minister in Poland. Well, the war breaks out. Poland gets invaded. The church in Poland dismantles like they can't do it anymore. And so... Um, so him and one of his priest buddies are like, well, let's hop a train. Everybody's taking the train to Russia. So let's just jump on a train. We'll sneak into Russia and we can minister there. And he's thinking, great, this is what God wants for me. Mm-hmm. I'm finally going to get to do God's will for my life, right? Uh, these are my words, not his. And so, uh, so he goes to Russia and he thinks, this is great. I'm going to minister to the Russian people. Promptly gets put into jail. They think he's a spy. He spends like the next 20 to 30 years in Russian prisons, you know, and not in nice prisons, but just the, the worst. Uh, and all throughout that, and in, in the two books that he wrote, um, you know, he's saying he kept his daily practice of um, saying the sacraments and saying the prayers. And as often as he could, he would try to minister, but it wasn't, a, you know, he had to kind of do it secretively. But he kept about his work as best as he could, you know. Uh, and then finally, you know, by miracle of God, he, you know, people thought he was dead. Anyway, they, they, uh, they, they were able to bring, bring him back to the U.S. And then once he's back in the U.S., he wrote these two books. But um, wow. I, I, I found those books really encouraging. Um, hmm. uh, and then there was another book. I'll finish it up. So it's called uh, The Sacrament of the Present Moment, I think. Or The Sacredness of the Present Moment. It's by this French priest ah, from like the 1600s, 1700s. And uh, yeah, 
maybe that's not a great book to bring up right now. But anyway, so uh, just because you forgot? No, well, the whole the whole thing about the book is that it's sort of like what whatever your plan was for today, you know. I was going to um, get up and I was going to write a song, but my daughter came into the room and wanted to play Legos or whatever, right? And you're like, well, I'm not going to, I can't, I, okay, I got to play Legos with my daughter, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, I'm not getting to my work today. I, uh-huh. I know I'm supposed to do my work. I can't. I got this distraction. Um, but yet the moment is still sacred. So he's so. like, so when you think, well, God's will for me is to do this. I'm supposed to play drums. I'm supposed to, um, yeah, I'm supposed to be a working musician. Yet my life is taking a left turn. You can look at that and you go, this guy says that that is God's will for you. This left turn that you're taking, that you didn't plan. Guess what? That's God. Mm-hmm. So thank God for this distraction. Thank God that, you know that he is working in your life. At the time, you're probably cursing under your breath and you're hating life because you're not making it to your appointment on time. Yeah. You know, but... Uh, uh, that'd be interesting to, to get the title on. We can put that in the, in the show notes. Yeah. To that. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the takeaway from the book. And obviously, if you take it to the, the, the wrong way, you can use it to justify any number of things. But right. <laughs> um, right. I think the spirit of it is, mm-hmm. is, was, spoke to me, you know, that... That yeah, you know maybe maybe God is at work at you, even though your life doesn't look anything like what you thought it was going to look like. Mm-hmm. You know, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I I believe in the in the providence of God and sovereignty and all of that. Well, this has been great. Thank you for being on the on the podcast, Dale. You're a good friend, man. Hey, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> Why don't you uh, tell people where they can go to find out more about you and uh, yeah. Well, if you want to get in touch with me, you can contact me via my website, www.dalebakerdrummer.com. Mm-hmm. Um, also on Twitter, which is Dale, D-A-L-E, Baker, B-A-K-A, Drumma, D-R-U-M-M-A. Right. Or you can, uh, but I also teach, uh, in addition to you know my studio work and uh, playing live with people, I also teach drum lessons. And you can get in, cut, get in touch with me, get in contact with me. Via you've, my... you've done some, uh, you've done some recording like remotely for folks, haven't you? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. That's one of the things I do. So I, yeah. I get hired to play with various artists. I also do uh, sessions, uh, you know, either locally or remotely. So people send me their MP3 files, and then I'll mm-hmm. add, add tracks onto that. So yeah. So if, if any of you CMB folks. Looking to record an EP. I know some folks are doing some recording right now. Please get in touch. Um, yeah. yeah. Need some drums. You know who to get in touch with. We'd love to do it. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then my drum lesson side, I also do, um, I give uh, master classes on worship drumming and just, you know, drumming fundamentals and things like that. And um, and also teach privately through my website, www.durhamdrumlessons.com. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, please get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Well, thanks again, bro, for being on the, on the show today. It's my pleasure. Well, I certainly enjoyed that conversation. I, I hope you did. I mean, as you can tell, we had a good time. Dale came into town, and we, we hung out um, outside of even the recording of the interview, and um, it was just good to catch up with him, and um, I love that guy. Dale, I'm sorry for what I'm about to do, but I have to do this. Uh, For those of you who are drummers, 
you'll want to definitely for sure for sure check out his his website which is dalebakerdrummer.com and um you'll want to stay in tune with what he's doing because he's actually going to be launching something at some point here in the near future for drummers specifically um in their craft if you're a drummer um you'll definitely want to check this out and, and i'll keep you guys informed as as things unfold i can't tell you much more than that but it's very exciting what he's going to be doing and um dale again i'm sorry that I, i'm doing that i know you probably don't want me to say this but <clears throat> i have to um and you know I, i'm a drummer i actually started out as a drummer that was the first instrument that i played and um, it really helped me in all of the other instruments so um, if you play guitar and you don't know how to play the drums, I would encourage you to take drum lessons. It'll help your guitar playing, ironically enough. But um, it's true. It's true. Ask ask a drummer who plays guitar. Ask a guitar who plays drum. Ask a guitar player who plays drums. Oh, wait, how did I say that? I don't know. Anyway, um, all the links um, from the show that that were mentioned in the in the conversation can be found by going to christianmusicblog.com forward slash session eleven. And um, right now, currently, it'll just take you to the landing page. You can go to latest updates and and look for session eleven, Dale Baker. And um, we have a lot of a, a lot of links there. And um, I won't go into all of those, but you can find those right there for sure. How to reach Dale and um, learn more from what's happening there. Um, that's it for this episode of the CMB Podcast. Thank you so much for for sticking with me. Um, I would love for you to leave an iTunes review. If if you've been listening to this for a while now, and uh, maybe you've listened to every episode, or maybe you've listened to a couple of episodes back-to-back, who knows? I don't know. But would you consider leaving a short review and rating this iTunes show? It only takes a few minutes. Just go to iTunes. Go to your iTunes and, and look for the tab that says Ratings and Reviews and leave that. I would really appreciate it. Um, for one thing, it really helps us rank better in iTunes. It helps other people like yourself find out more about us um, when they search for Christian musicians, Christian music, things like that. And um, that'll really just be a huge, huge blessing. Thank you so much. So iTunes reviews, that'd be great. I hope you have a great week, and I hope you have some productive times making music, writing songs, playing your instrument, whatever it may be. May God bless you in that this week, and we'll see you next time here on the CMB Podcast. Adios. Make sure you visit freemusicgift.com if it's your first time listening to the CMB podcast. I want to give you that gift there. Just go to freemusicgift.com.